all the children on their way. All right. You know, last week I spoke about what holy living is, what holiness is, and how legalism and liberalism are like ditches on each side of the road to holiness. Now, I didn't paint the picture exactly like this, but the church is like the rumble strips that warn people of getting off to either side of these ditches. After last week's message, I was headed down the road and managing a sandwich <laughs> when I encountered some rumble strips on the right side of the road. <laughs> I chuckled within myself, uh, saying that I was getting too close to the world. <laughs> you know, the world is a cruel, sinful place that we live and operate in. It is. Ephesians 6.13 we are warned to take unto us the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. If you think you can get through this world on your own, unscathed from sin in your life, you're fooling yourself. If you think you can be a good Christian outside of the local church, I hate to say it this way, but you're making God a fool. He didn't come here and put this here for nothing. He knew we needed it. The great apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul had enemies in his ministry. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was mistreated by many, but he realized something that most of us don't consider. Of all the enemies we have in the world, the biggest enemy we have is ourself. Our flesh is out to have its own way, to take its pleasure in sin. Therefore, it needs to be brought under subjection. Subjection to the word and to the will of God, which is the road to holiness. We will bring our bodies into subjection by imposing standards upon ourselves. So hopefully, like I meet you all coming in, and I just met Ben, and I could see in his eyes, and he is tired. He might go out on me here. I don't know. <laughs> but at times, I'll meet people, and I could see, man, just they're, just, they're beaten down coming in. You may be thinking, why do I go to church? Why do I make that a standard in my life to always go to church? <laughs> Hopefully you'll understand that a little more after this message. You know, this morning I just felt it was necessary to expand on last week's lesson and talk about some words, some of those words that are loosely identified concerning God's call for us to live holy lives. He tells us to be holy for I am holy. The key words that I want to expand upon today are legalism and liberalism. I'm going to talk mostly about standards and I'm going to use the word modesty. Oh, those are all kind of really rough words in the church, aren't they? But you're going to, I hope you find them to, to be very sweet words when you understand them correctly. Let's pray. Father, we need your power this morning. We need your power in our lives to overcome. 
Father, I pray for your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and lives today. May we understand these things, especially in the thought of standards today and what those are and what those mean. And Father, I want to tell you I love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's start with the, the word legalism in the Bible. You know, the Jews were very much the epitome of legalism. Though they were hypocritical in their own practice of it, but the law was not made to make us righteous before God. It is actually quite the opposite. I'll tell you when to turn to the scriptures. I have quite a bit here, and I don't want to extend time more than I need to. Galatians 3.24, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified not by works, not by the law, but by faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. It says, But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. James 2.10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. Now we know, in Romans 3.19, that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. The law is to turn us to Christ because we cannot keep it. It's insufficient. Turn to Matthew chapter 12. Turn to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to read a little story of how the law stood in the way of the Pharisees to believe on Christ. All these laws and the standards that they had set up. Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. It says, At that time Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were in hunger and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. I think Jesus, God had Jesus purposely do things on the Sabbath day, I believe. But he said unto them, Have ye not read what David did when he was in hunger, and they went, and they that were with him, how he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests? Or have ye not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priests and the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. <laughs> but if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, ye would have not condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. God's greater than the laws. He made the laws. And when he departed thence, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days that they might accuse him? And he said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep, and if it fall into the pit on the Sabbath day, will, not, will he not lay hold on it? And lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep? And I'm telling you what, we're getting to the point of the day today where that's a big question. That should be no question at all. Wherefore 
it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Then saith he to the man, stretch forth thine hand, and he stretched it forth and was restored whole like as the other. Now how does this apply in our religious circles today? Well, close to home, now Wayne there, uh, he has some mental difficulties, but he's been around religion. He actually knows a lot. He just gets mixed up some. But he's always touting his holiness church and the holiness movement. This past Thursday, he was defining holiness by a set of standards. And I actually had to just stop him and talk over the top of him. And I had to just rebuke, really, what he was saying there. He was talking about that the men wear black slacks and they wear white, and I have to wear dark and a white shirt. And the ladies wear their hair up and their dresses go down to their ankles. Now, Wayne does not play bingo there because it's an unholy activity. All these standards, this is what he's saying is holy, but... Bingo at the home is not an act of gambling. The people do not put out their money and prizes of their own in hopes of gaining more prizes. It's not, it's not that. It's, it's simply a game that they enjoy that brings them together. And if you win, you may be freely given a piece of candy. There's nothing wrong about giving. By adhering to the law in this situation with Wayne, he brings undue trouble upon others and himself, and he becomes, like the Pharisees, while trying to bring in holiness by standards, he becomes unholy and ineffective of his witness in himself. I'm sure you've been in and around and see people who take and use standards and, and raise them up higher than what they are. So this leads us to the thought of standards. What are standards? Are they good or are they bad? We just don't think about it, but standards shape the world around us. We, we, a lot of people, they want to talk about the church and people with standards and, the, and this and that and, and, and throw it up there. We're in standards all the time. This, this past Friday, Patty, I, and the Utsi family visited the Wright-Patterson Air Force Museum. It's a national museum free to the public, that carries very high standards in their building and in their displays. There are military personnel strategically located there to assist you. The military, whether in dress, uniform, or fatigues, they are clean, they are well-kept, they are kind, and they are helpful. It's an awesome standard. You ought to go there just to observe that. On the other hand, the cafe that we went to to have lunch in the same building did not have standards anywhere close to the museums. The food was the quality of microwave box food. Now, I'm not, you know what, it, it fed our bellies. I'm, I'm not, you know, saying anything about that. The prices were extravagant. A bottle of Gatorade was four and a half dollars. The cash register lady was very curt and had an unhappy countenance, and to beat all with humongous margins in the food, I was very sharply told, we do not take Discover. You charge this much, you have this attitude, 
and you won't take discover because it's going to cost you a little bit more. I was amazed at what low standards the cafe had within the confines of such a high standard museum. Pack your lunch, you can go there. <laughs> it was such a parody. You know, we can see the principles of standards in the world and there are as many standards as there are noses on people's faces. But godly standards are different because true standards for godliness revolve around a single, perfect, unchangeable standard. With God, there's one standard, the Word of God. It remains the same. It will never change. It's the only dependable thing in this world, the Word of God. That's the standard. But there are also human standards. What is a standard anyway? A standard is a minimum required level of performance. Standards are like walls of guidance. They are to lead us to uphold an ultimate standard of contact, of conduct. Those military personnel, if handled correctly, and they handle those standards correctly, have within their heart the right standard. If somebody needs help within their heart, they're not going to be concerned about wrinkling their uniform. They're going to bend their knee and do what needs to be to help because they got it right in their heart. But not all military personnel have that right either, folks. It's a personal responsibility. Standards are barriers to sin in the world. It's how we bring our body under subjection. Standards are two-way barriers. They keep sin from having free reign upon us, and they keep us from going into sin. Standards like making church a priority. This is, what I was talking. this is why you come to church. Reading your Bible on a regular basis. Praying in everything. It's the inside wall of standards. It keeps you close to God. The outside walls deters um, and repels or opposes the world which wants to take our life and take us away from that true standard of the Word of God. Now, standards in themselves are not biblical doctrine. They are tied to it and build upon the principles of the Word of God, but standards in themselves do not produce godliness. I had a dear friend of mine. This is a sad story, and you guys can fall into this if you don't watch it. That he followed everything the church told him to do, and he was disturbed when the children got older. They were wayward when they grew up. What I saw in this family was a real love for sports. Now, if you're looking at anybody who could love sports, you're looking at him here. I enjoy him. I love sports. In order to do what they really loved to do and be right with God, they adhered to the work and standards of the church. If you found them in the church, this family would be the ones that there and doing everything that they were trying to do. But it was so that they could live the rest of their lives dedicated to what they truly loved, their sports. I see it in people in church all the time. They have this emphasis that they're, they're godly, but Sunday they're doing worldly things. 
and, and somehow justifying those things. Standards are not something performed from the outside that produces a relationship with God on the inside. Biblical standards are just the opposite. They are erected, <laughs> folks, I hope you realize this, out of a close relationship with God. The closer you get with him, the more standards you erect as to covet, to protect, and keep a close relationship with God. That's what standards are for. Paul imposed standards upon himself. At the end of the message, I'm going to show you a very harsh standard or thought that he had on himself. But you will see that his self-imposed standard was to protect his relationship with God. You see, standards are personal. Okay? Standards are personal. Each of us have areas of weakness in our lives. Areas that need to be fortified by walls of standards. Now I can go up into Kroger and I'll do it sometime. I'm not thinking I don't like to do it just because of what somebody might think or something. But I'll go right down the alcohol aisle because that's the quickest way where I'm going. It bothers me nothing at all. It has absolutely no effect on me. Others will raise a standard. I will not go down that aisle. Okay? And that's a good standard for them. It might be a good standard for you to cut off the internet. How do you live in a... I'll tell you what. What do you prefer more? You want closeness with God? Or do you want what you want? You know, God was a standard maker. He had strict standards. I want you to turn to Leviticus chapter 21. I remember saying something to a pastor one time. I didn't really even know what I said, but his reaction to me is I must have said something really brilliant. <laughs> I said, you know, Leviticus seems to be like the heart of God. I said something along those lines, and he was like, you're exactly right. I didn't even know what I was saying at the time. Leviticus chapter 21, beginning in verse 16. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron, saying, Whosoever he be of thy seed in their generations that hath any blemish, anybody have blemish? Let him not approach to offer the bread of his God. For whatsoever man he be that hath a blemish, he shall not approach a blind man or a lame, or he that hath a flat nose, or anything superfluous, or a man that is broken-footed or broken-handed, a crookback or a dwarf, or that hath a blemish in his eye, or be of scurvy or scabbed, or hath his stones broken. No man that hath a blemish of the seed of Aaron, the priest, shall come nigh to the offerings of the Lord made by fire. He hath a blemish, he shall not. Come nigh to offer the bread of his God. He shall not eat the bread of his God, both of the most holy and of the holy. Only he shall not go into the veil, nor come nigh unto the altar, because he hath a blemish, that he profane not my sanctuaries, for I the Lord do sanctify them. And Moses told it unto Aaron and to his sons and unto all the children of Israel. Now I'll tell you what this world would say. Man, God's a 
bigot. You can't do that. You can't raise those kind of standards. That does, that's mean, that's cruel, man. Just because I have a flat nose, I can't do this. You know, God has standards. Now, God doesn't say these people were inferior. For this purpose and this position, these were not allowed. These were the standards. And like Brother Mike said, sometimes I don't understand. But God knows. Just follow him. Today, our government and the world wants to have equality for all. Standards of employment are not set on experience and performance, but rather by ethnic and gender quotas. Women are taken into jobs that are very physical. In order to meet quotas, they lower the standards. If not just for the women, then for the whole group, they'll just lower the standards so they can all fit in. But I remember, I think it was Tim when he was going through the police academy. Um, I better not try it. I was going to do a regular man's push-up, but I might not make it. And, uh, <laughs> although we've got uh, help here, you know, and first aid back there. So, But the women are on their knees doing different kind of push-ups. Why is there two different standards? I don't want to be mean just telling you where it's where it's going I'm just trying to help you to understand about standards we also have participation awards folks where the standard for achievement is lower to the level of participation standards should always point up and grow never downward spiral we're in a downward spiral in this country you know there's also standards of protection that we concerning the church that we have the church in itself is 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 a unit and needs its own set of standards the pastor has to really watch for these to make sure that we have standards that promote proper behavior between men and women? How many times is a, a married piano player develops into a relationship with a song leader who they're not married to? Is that just, wow, that hardly ever happens? No, that kind of junk happens all the time. Why do they even, if we have standards and we try to set standards to protect that from happening, remember who our biggest enemy is, is our flesh. Okay. Lady secretaries working close to and sometimes privately with ministers is all not to be. Is it wrong? Is it that's biblically wrong? No. We just don't want to allow occasion for the flesh. Why would we allow our flesh an advantage? That would be foolish, folks. So we set up a standard. Hope that makes a hope. A little bit of sense. Sometimes we need to ban certain people as close friends. To not go out alone or at times of night or places of vulnerability. Does it mean those are all wrong? That's biblically wrong. To no, it's just, it makes a little sense, folks. You know when things happen? At night and behind closed doors and those sort of things. It happens all the time. 
So we set standards. <laughs> what about our speech? To set standards of our speech and our actions that become of the Christian. It's so easy to slide on those things. And pretty soon you're just talking like the world. Or you have your world talk and your church talk. If you set a standard here, when you go out there, they'll see it. He don't cuss. He don't say things. And if he did, he apologized. Whoa, what is that? <laughs> modesty standards. Do not guarantee modesty. Modesty is direct biblical basis. We are to be modest people. And true modesty comes from the heart and is closely tied to humility. So what does the word modesty mean anyway? Now I got kind of a chuckle looking at different definitions. They all kind of want to tend to everybody points toward dress, okay? Or covering yourself and being modest and, and those things. And you can find a bunch of definitions and examples. But here is what I find consistent through the definitions. And I hope you can keep this in your mind simply what modesty is. The common theme to all of these is that modesty carries the thought of invisibility. Modesty is not bringing attention to any of us. It is the thought of being powerless, neutral, or inconsequential. Immodesty says, look at me. And it doesn't have to be sensual part. It, it, it can just be look at me for whatever. Read what I've got to say, you know. Brings attention to yourself. You know, it's great when people say, you know, did you see what so-and-so was wearing? No, never noticed, you know. Immodesty says, look at me. Modesty makes you disappear and just leaves you. We often think of women having problems with modesty, but men have problems with it too. Some trying to project some kind of image. Look at me. Whether it's the brand, the shoes, or the style, skinny pants, camo pants, or showing their underpants, Look at me. Ba biblical based standards are weapons against worldly influence. We're not talking just about appearance. We're talking about your speech, your attitude, your countenance, your music, your activities, your friends, and your ethics. The world hates standards. The world calls this hate because standards point to a higher authority and a single supreme way of living under an almighty God. The world says you are the boss. If it feels good, if you can think about it, you can do it. This is what is called liberalism. This is really your definition of liberalism, folks. I'm trying to simplify things for you which is simply keeping God out of control. 
Liberalism's whole thing is to keep God out of the control. You keep your control. Because you keep your control, you're headed to hell if you haven't been saved. Satan's behind the whole thing. All humans, our flesh likes what the world has to offer. Hey, just because we were born again doesn't mean our flesh died. <laughs> it's still well and alive. Paul knew it. He needed to keep it under control. We want to get what we want and justify it. And so what we do is we lower our standards. But in doing so, we begin to create a God in our own image. It's happened all the time in the churches. They're lowering God's standards, and they're making their own God. I heard Pastor Fugit, a pastor in Kentucky I like to listen to, he was warning about making, and he kind of went out on the line here, and he had to say, now listen to me, an independent Baptist God. <laughs> because churches can make God into what they form him into. He said, I want to know God who God is, the God of the Bible. But we can start to lower standards and we can form God into our standards. Standards are essential to live a holy life in this world. We need them. Every one of us do. I mentioned that the great apostle Paul set a standard in his life to lead him to holiness. Comes out of the book of Philemon, by the way. And we may understand a little more, maybe some other things, what Paul meant by this. He said, yet for love's sake, I'd rather beseech thee, being such an one as Paul the aged, and now a prisoner of Jesus Christ. A prisoner. He set a standard of being in prison, I feel. And if it, that's not what he meant, if I said Paul... I'm going to tell you that in the context that you are a prisoner of Christ, he would agree with it. He'd say, that's, that's what I want. I want to be, sometimes we need to put some, some bars up in our life. People may look at it as, oh, that's, well, I want to protect my relationship with God. You know, marriage has a good set of bars from our flesh going where it shouldn't go. It gives us a place. God gave us a place where things can be satisfied in marriage and be right with God. There's other bars we put up. Uh, there's a missionary who, we had a pool table. A pool table, a pool table's not bad, okay? But to him, that was evil. As a matter of fact, he might have imposed, been posing his standards upon other people, but I, I love him, and it's okay. And I respect it because he grew up in that kind of life and in the bars and in the drinking and the pool table, they all went together for me. Can't be around it. For me or you, it might not be anything, but for him, that man, that just, that was, that table's sin. I need to stay away from it. See, these things become personal with us. You know, you think standards lift you up. No, standards tell you how bad you need them because how low you are. And it shows how much you love God because you'd rather impose those things upon yourself than to lose your relationship with God. 
whose standard is the Bible? Whose hunger and passion is to know and study it personally? Whose goal is to live beside it, holy and separated? Whose passion is to love and to serve others? Whose goal is to enjoin with the church who will promote personal holiness together? Who is not contentious and not easily offended? They do not tear down but build up others and allow them to build, build them up as well. I need to be built up. You, you all build me up at times. Your standards sometimes are, they're your standards, but sometimes they challenge me. It's a good thing. to a higher knowledge of God's word, to higher standards of living, to protect them from worldly influence, both of which draw them to a holy living from which outpours out humility, love, sacrifice, and a witness to a lost and a dying world. You know, Jesus humbled himself and so loved us that he gave his life as a sacrifice for an undeserving, lost, and dying world. Jesus stood out. Think about his life. Did he do anything that says, look at me? He said, if you see me, you see the Father. Whatever I do is what the Father tells me. He, he paid his standard what God said. We talked about it this morning. You know, he is equal. He, he can do. He is God. He can speak for himself, but he put himself under his Father and all that he did. People, we should have a life when we really get close to God, we should have a life where people come to us and ask us of the hope that was within us. Now I'm going to end this with a humbling thought of myself. When we were at the museum, us and the Utsis, Mom went down to the uh, gift shop and took most of the kids, and me, Beth, and Lauren were just up there. And she, Beth was finishing her meal because she was <laughs> running kids to the bathroom after that time, I think. And uh, so a lady approaches us, and she has a big smile on her face, and she just said, I enjoyed looking, watching your family. And she's, she's kind of him hauling around. She, she doesn't know how to say it. But she's given, she's going to ask a legal question. She said, I notice that, you know, it could be like Amish or, or Mennonite or, you know, of some legal thing. She's asking, you know, what, where's, our, where's our faith? I gave her a legal answer. I gave her, just answered what she was asking. I said, I'm a Baptist pastor. I don't know what that meant to her. Maybe God used it. I don't know. But that kind of like, I don't know. It might have shook her up a little bit. She told us about her family. They, I asked if they lived close by because they were there at the museum. This is their second day in the museum. I said, no, we, we live in Las Vegas. And we travel all over the national parks and says, uh, this is my husband, and she, she's probably my age, I guess, about, about-ish. 
And this is my husband. He's, I've been married to him for 22 years. Well, I've been married for 40. He has his six kids, and she has her five or six or seven or something like that. And what they do is they go all around the country visiting their kids and their grandkids and stuff, going to the, all the parks. What I didn't promote was Jesus Christ. What I didn't give her was a track. These people were probably had time on their hands, would have read a booklet that's really good that we have out here done before he was finished. And I tell you about Jesus. I needed to tell her whatever we do, why we do it, if it's good, it's because of Jesus, not of our church or our religion. Don't get mixed up with that. Folks, we got a long way to go. It ought to be very natural. I don't I should have been looking for an opportunity while I was there. And I can make all sorts of excuses. I didn't really feel real good at the time. Struggling a little bit. But I don't I didn't go to that museum thinking I might run into somebody where I can give them the gospel. That's a shame. I should be thinking that. I should be prepared with that. Beth, keep your hair up in a bun. I think part of that and the way you dress attracts people to you and to ask questions and to have kids. You know what you, hey, Malachi, Joanna, Emily, Emily, Emily. It's out there, Rebecca, Lauren. When you obey your parents, it is noticed out in the world. People come asking questions. You can serve the Lord, but just by being obedient and being well, you will stand out. And people will ask questions. And may we be prepared. May we be looking for it, prepared, and give them the gospel. Those people on their long trips have a lot of time to think. Now, I have an inclination that they might have some spiritual background. But how in the world do you serve God? running across the country, seeing your grandchildren all the time. That's a lot of fun. That's enjoyable. But is that for self or is that for God? My guess is those people needed a dose of challenge from God in their life, but I didn't give it to them. All right, with heads bowed and eyes closed, <coughs> Hannah's coming to play. I hope you see standards in a different light this morning. Certainly there are people who raise standards up, who claim that as God, that's not God. That's not what standards are for. Standards are for you. The more standards you add, probably, if you hold them right, pretty much is a humbling thing because you know you need them you know your weakness but it also shows a desire for you to be close to God regardless of what it takes now I'm going to tell you something the Bible says about a standard that the unbeliever ought to have Pastor Mike had 
mentioned how God, the Almighty God, sees those who are unsaved. They're, they're evil. He doesn't know them. It ought to scare us. The Bible says, if thy right arm offend thee, cut it off. If thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. Whatever it is that's holding you up from trust in Jesus Christ and giving him your entire life, whatever it is, as hard as it is, give it up. As he says, what benefit is there if you have your whole body and go to hell? You'd much rather go in with, a, with an arm off or an eye plucked out or your phone, things that you shouldn't be on or your internet that you shouldn't be on or whatever to just wipe that stuff out. It'd be better to do that. A friend that's keeping you from God. Whatever it is, he says, it's better that you hack it off. And that, that's, that's an awful thing to think of. That's a very graphic thing to think of. I trust if there's anything between you and trusting Christ as your Savior, get rid of it altogether. Amen. Thank you for listening to me babble. It's called preaching. Um, sometimes it comes out in weird ways. Um, you know, I kind of thought last week's message was like the vaccination, and I thought this is like the booster shot. But I just pr pray that you all would, uh, would understand. The standards are really good, held in the right way. They're really bad, held in the wrong way. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, I just pray for each one here, whatever the need is from just salvation to, to begin with to, to worldly influences that we're fighting, to being legal and not knowing the word of God for ourselves, that we uh, preach what others preach and teach what others teach, not, not really knowing it for ourselves all that that holds us from a relationship with you, Lord God, whatever the, the problem is, maybe we're not reading our Bible and praying and, and witnessing. Um, that can keep us from a holy life, a wonderful life, a safe life in an evil world. So, Father, I just pray whatever those things are for each one of us today that uh, we would consider removing them setting up standards, and living for you. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.